Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. Well, we are in the third week of our series of looking at the idea of what it means to choose Christmas. Um, Sometimes I know it feels like Christmas isn't really a choice. It's on the calendar. It shows up. It is relentless. It always comes. Um, And all of the responsibilities and things that take place with us. And sometimes it feels like Christmas is something that happens to us and not necessarily a choice uh, that we make. And so this year we have been kind of re-examining what it means for you and I uh, who understand what the, the real reason for the season is that it's really about Jesus. And for us to choose Christmas on purpose in a deeper way and part of us looking at our own choices and how we can do that, we've been looking at the scriptures to some key people in that original Christmas story and some significant choices they had to make, some, some difficult choices that they had to make. And how can we glean uh, some truth and some inspiration to carry us forward, to live the life God's called us to live. Because guess what? Um, In this Christmas, um, God's hand is on your life and God wants to make this special in your family and the people you connect with. And he wants to continue to carry the miracle of Christmas forward. But you and I have to say yes to that. We have to choose that. So if you got your bulletin, you got your Bible app, however it is you're gonna track along with us, that we've led off with this idea that the first Christmas teaches us that we can trust God in every season. That we can trust God in every season. And some seasons are exciting. Some seasons are exciting and some seasons are no fun. And one of the most unfun seasons is the waiting season. Waiting is the worst. I just, I'm not wired for it. I'm not built for it. This is why one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. Because there are things that God is doing in our lives and we can kind of mess it up and lose some of the joy if we don't let patience come in and allow God's timing to begin to work out. And so, I mean, we're just, and I, I forget how impatient I am because San Angelo is, it's, it's, a, it's a good community to live in, you know? It's a good community. Rarely do you have to sit through the same red light twice, like rarely. And you know what? I notice it, you know? You sit there, you, you back up, there's a spot on Avenue Inn coming up to where it turns into Arden Road, getting onto Sherwood Way. And I know if I'm not at a, cer- at a certain alignment with a telephone pole, I'm going to have to wait. And then I, just, and I don't like people cutting through parking lots. And I just almost think about it. Like I'm going through HEB. I am not waiting through this line. And then I'm like, nope, don't do it. We put up speed bumps because we were tired of people rocketing through our, our, um, our parking lot because they didn't want to wait to be able to go up there and do a right turn. You can ride on red. We had to put par- we had to put speed bumps out here so people wouldn't go 40 miles an hour through our parking lot. And so I mean cuz we just don't like the waiting season even if it's just a tiny one. Much less if it's a long one. If it's a long waiting season, it is in very very challenging. Sometimes 
there's a space where we can get so fixated on what we think should be that we miss the miracle of what is. And one of the things that I think the enemy comes in to try to rob you and I of the joy of Christmas is to come in and present this idea, to feed the flames of this idea of what we think this time of year should be for us. So we get disgruntled, we get disconnected, and we miss the miracle of what is because there are just miracle after miracle in our lives. The miracle of a relationship with God, the miracle of breath in our lungs, the miracle uh, of just being able to live in a free nation, to be able able to to pursue opportunities. And sometimes we can just miss it because we get fixated on what we think should be. Before we get into the story that we're gonna get into today, the story of Zechariah, I wanna tell you two stories that are related that help us understand Zechariah's story, I think. And I'll go uh, back to uh, in the Clark household, um, back when Pastor Keenan uh, was about five years old. And uh, Weston, who's also on our team, um, was one, and he was in his high chair. Cutie and I were making dinner this one evening, and we were sitting there, Little, little Weston is in his high chair and, and Keenan comes up and all of a sudden they, he begins to talk to him. Now Weston's not talking back because um, he's one and he's in a high chair. Um, but as you know, um, Keenan will just talk to people who won't talk back. He'll just talk. <laughs> he, he likes it if you talk back, likes a little feedback, but he'll talk. And so he's talking to Weston and he is uh, telling him, and all of a sudden, you know, we just hear this in the, behind me as I'm doing my food prep. Um, all of a sudden, uh, Keenan tells Weston, he says, uh, Weston, I'm going to teach you how to be a man of God. <laughs> oh, man, this little youth pastor's heart just perked up. I don't want to, you know, mess it up. I don't want to turn around and look and watch. And so I'm just sitting here and just kind of try to do what I'm doing and not mess this moment up. And like, what is this five-year-old going to do? What is he going to say? I'm going to teach you how to be a man of God, okay? Uh, All of a sudden, he's going to start being like daddy. He's going to start preaching. He's going to say, turn to your Bible and start preaching. Start telling a little illustration and bringing us a point of truth. Is is he going to do that? Is Is he going to start praying? Is he going to quote a scripture? What's he going to do? And all of a sudden, I'm just wondering. Cutie and I are both. We're just kind of paused there listening to our son and all of a sudden Keenan looks at Weston and he just says this is how you be a man of God and he throws his hands in the air and starts singing hallelujah thank you Jesus Lord you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise and all of a sudden it's like oh man (laughs) little five-year-old kid gets it that's absolutely amazing that's it being a man of God is being a person who worships God, who just understands who he is. That's it. It was an amazing moment in our kitchen. It was just just amazing. Now we jump forward in time, and Keenan's about to go off to Bible school. And Keenan's about to head off to Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. And, and uh, so we're going to do a preview. We've um, been able to go there his 
uh, senior year and take a day off from school and we go and we're going to sit in a chapel service and see if an eye has been known throughout the years for its worship. And Pastor Keenan doesn't realize he's called to preach. Anybody believe the guy's called to preach? He's called to preach. And so, but he thought he was going to be a worship pastor. That's what he thought he was going to do. He's going to be a worship leader. So he, that he's going there and just got worship on the brain. So we're sitting in there. I told him, I was like, I was like, man, the son, their worship is awesome. It is so good. You're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. We're there in the chapel service. And then sure enough, the guy there, they, they've got the, the full band. They've got multiple electric guitars. I'm like, I'm just ready for somebody to just and just start ripping into this just awesome, fresh, new worship sound. And all of a sudden, it's just the one guy on the keys starts playing. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Of all the stuff y'all could play, y'all are playing this old song? I'm just sitting there frustrated and my heart just frustrated. Like, this is not the stuff. This is like, I'm just waiting for Kenan to look over me like, this is where I'm going to learn how to be like a, a front edge worship leader. I'm just sitting there disgruntled and I'm just irritated. I see the guy's just, just the keys, his voice, just playing this old song until they get to the chorus and he hits it makes me want, ha, ah, makes me cry every time. Makes me want to shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And all of a sudden, the song he told his little brother, this is how it is to be a man of God. This worship leader said, we're just going to pull this old one out. They hadn't sung that song in chapel in years. And if there where my son was going to learn how to be a man of God in a deeper place, God put the right song in the right place. And I was in the middle. There was 1,500 people in there. They're all enjoying the song. But that song is ministering like crazy to one row of people, Cutie and I and Keenan sitting there. And, not, and I was so frustrated because of what I thought it should be happening in that moment. I was missing the miracle of the moment. And then all of a sudden had that old moment with God. It's like, yes, Heavenly Father, thank you. That is the song. That's the song that needs to be played right now. That is so perfect. That is so good. I'm, Lord, I'm sorry I got mad at you, Lord. I'm, and so I'm mad at this school. Nobody knows what they're doing in this place. And so, and I was the one. I was the one that didn't know what I was doing. And we can get so fixated on what we think should be. We miss the miracle that's happening right in front of us. We're about to catch up with a guy here in Luke chapter 1, a guy named Zechariah. If you've not studied and paid attention to the nativity story and really looked at the fullness of it, all of it, you may not even know who Zechariah is. You know who Zechariah's son is, if you've been around church for any length of time, and it's a guy named John the Baptist. But at this point, Zechariah has no children. Him and his wife, Elizabeth, have no kids, and they have been in a waiting season to just totally, totally exhaust all waiting seasons. 
They have been married. They have been serving God. Scriptures say that they, they have been righteous and they have been without a child for decades upon decades. In fact, let's go ahead and let's look at the scriptures right now. Luke chapter one, verse five says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. See, here what we have is we have this, this guy, Zechariah, who is a priest by birth. He's called, he's born into that space. And there was an entire tribe who's, who were one-twelfth of the population of Israel who were priests. They were born into that family. That was their role to serve. And you could not serve if you were not of that family. And of course, who he was going to marry was going to be an Israelite. But all of a sudden, he actually marries someone who is of a priestly family as well. Now, you have to understand, there are tens of thousands of people in this priestly family, if not, if not hundreds of thousands of people in this priestly family. So it's not like he married his first cousin or nothing. It ain't weird. And so, but... There is this space where, where all of a sudden, not only is he of a priestly line, but also he marries a woman. His wife is of a priestly line. I mean, this is like his family was just so pumped uh, he, that he found a wife of a priestly line, okay? This is like you send, you're being an Aggie and you sending your kids off to A&M and, and then they fall in love with an Aggie, okay? And it's like, you know, it's a little cultish and weird, but you know, you're excited about it. And so, and so, and so you, you just pump, like it just couldn't go any better than this. And so, and that is, that is this, this family. They're just so pumped. And that, that's, and both of them, verse six, were righteous in the sight of, of God. They were as equally yoked as you could possibly get. There wasn't one of them who had spiritual fervor and the other one who was just kind of being drug along because, man, they just won't leave me alone. So I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do this thing. No, they were both passionate for God. They were both had a, a, a devout relationship with God. They're observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. These, the scriptures don't throw this kind of language around very often. These people were top shelf people. But verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Now here is the tension. At that space, in that moment, if you were not able to conceive, people interpreted that, that somehow there was something wrong in your relationship with God. The Psalms tell us the truth, that, that children are a, a blessing from the Lord. And, and so, but, but that doesn't mean that there's this periodic place where there will be people who just have significant trouble, even to the point of not being able to have children. So here are these people who walked blamelessly, but there was always a little accusation on the edges. God saw them as blameless and others kind of side-eyed them. I see you doing everything right, but are you really right? 
You'd have had kids by now if you were really right. And they've just walked with this tension and they've done it for years. They've done it for years. Because it says, and they were both very old. The original language here puts it at a place that, that, the, that they have actually reached a milestone in life. That very old phrase that we translate into English is it's a, it's a milestone in life that they were north of 80 years old. North of 80. They've gone through decades of childlessness. By the time this takes place, they have had the most ultimate way to the point of exhaustion, to the point of exhaustion, of just absolutely giving up. And then verse eight, it says, and once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God and he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And if you're familiar with the temple, there's the Holy of Holies that the priest entered once a year on Passover. Then there is the holy place, and that's where Zechariah is going into. And then there's the uh, other temple courts, and then there's the outer court, okay? And so he gets selected to go into this space because he's of the the tribe that is being able to do it. Now, here's what's unique is you get to do this once in your life. The priests get to go in and offer incense one time in their life. And only whenever your tribe. And so the, the different groups of Abijah, there was 24 of them. So the, they would go in and, for, and they would cover it for a half a month every year that they would handle this. So he would rally, he would go into Jerusalem. He lived in the hill country. He would come in during his time of service. And for 80 years, he had been able, or since he had entered into service, um, he had had all these decades where his name could have been drawn and he's not been drawn. His name could have been picked to go in here. At this point, the odds are He's never going to get the highest honor a priest could get, which is to go in and burn incense there. And finally, as he's very old, he gets his moment. When, he, when it looked like he was probably never, the lot would never fall to him, he goes in and he is able to go in and to offer incense. So he's been in this waiting game and his family. He's been in this waiting game and his vocation. These things that are honors, he feels like he's been denied. But yet he's still choosing to love God and to serve God anyways. See, as we look at his story, we look at him and Elizabeth, we see that we need to choose God when things take longer than you want them to take. Because what we're going to see in the timeline, in the timeline of God's heart, their child comes to them as soon as he can. If they're going to participate in the coming of the Messiah, he comes along as soon as he possibly can. Verse 11, it says, And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, 
He was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will call him John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. This has been promised, prophesied, would happen. And here it is, their child is going to be the one to fulfill that. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is absolutely incredible. This is his dreams being fulfilled. All of a sudden, in one moment, all his waiting is culminated in one moment. His lot gets drawn. He gets to go in and offer incense to, to God. He gets to do the thing he'd be able to do once in his lifetime. He has an angelic visitation, an angelic presence who immediately recognizes the fear can be there, calms him down and tells him a prophecy he knows very well is about to be fulfilled in the child he's going to be born. All of a sudden, everything he's ever wanted in life has come together in one miraculous moment. And you would think he would be going, woohoo, yes, amazing, this is it. And sadly, he has been worn down by waiting. He's been worn down by waiting. And we see, here it says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? The waiting has made it where he doesn't even want to hope anymore. You ever been waiting on something so long that you're like, somebody began to talk to you about it and you're like, look, 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 don't even get my hopes up. Don't even get my hopes up. I can't handle a disappointment in this space again. Like literally, just don't get my hopes up. And Zechariah is sitting there in the middle of his miracle and that is what bubbles to the top. How can I be sure of this. You're, you're talking to an angel. You're talking to an angel. Not, not a dream of an angel like Joseph had. He's there in the temple. He's talking to an angel. He's like, how can I, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And my wife is well along in years. Dude, you have shown up way too late. We should have had this moment years ago. Years ago. Dude, you've shown up way too late. I'm old. She's old. There's just, how, how can I be sure of this? And he just can't quite grab a hold of it. He's got worn out by waiting. And he just won't let his hopes get up. And then the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. That's the same word as the gospel. This good news. I've been sent to tell you this. And all you can do is lock down. Is lock down. Here's the wonderful thing. Here's the wonderful thing. Is Gabriel didn't say, oh, well, well, let me see if I can find somebody else who'll actually be excited about this. No, he's like, nope, nope, I'm going to stay with you. This is your moment, and I am not going to give up. But what he does is something significant. Is this space where Zechariah is not using his mouth well. This was a moment he should have said amen. He should have said what Mary says. Be it unto me according to your word. But he says, how can I be sure of this? Now, of course, Mary says, how can this be? I I don't know a man. It's, It's like there's some stuff that ain't done. But he's like... How can my heart be sure? Mary asks a a legitimate question. He's like, I just don't want to believe you. And so the angel gives him a gift and gives him a gift of silence. And in verse 20, it says, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, this is, this is a guy who, who um, is righteous in God's eyes, who's been faithful in every front. But it's amazing how we can be faithful in lots of spaces, but there's still a place of unbelief in the core places that matter most to us. And God wants to enter into those core places that matter most. I want us to revisit verse 13. It says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer's been heard. Now let's look at his response because he says, um, how can this be? Because I'm old and well along in years. Now, Zechariah had obviously prayed for a child at some point. The angel says, your prayer's been heard. But Zechariah didn't go, oh, yeah, we we were just praying for that last night. We were just praying, you know, we know we're, you know, a little up there, but hey, we still want a kid. No, his immediate response isn't, oh, yeah, 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 we were just praying about that. Awesome. His immediate response is, now, how can this be? Because we're old. How can I be sure of this? Because we're old. Now, here's what I think happened. There had been prayers that aligned with the heart of God that because it took longer than they wanted it to take, they began to give up on those in their heart. But could it be that something we prayed about a long time ago, God is still at work on that even when we've kind of given up on that prayer? And is there possible there's a place where 
that we've fervently prayed, we've laid it out there, and God's plan is in motion, and it's just taken longer than we thought it would take, and we kind of took some of the prayer pressure off of that, but God's not taking his pressure off of it. He's still at work. He's still moving forward, and all of a sudden, the answer to the prayer shows up, and then we have a hard time believing it's actually ours because we forgot. We've been praying for that. Lord, I was praying for that, but I was praying for that then. I needed that answer then. I've honestly kind of parked that prayer recently. I thought you weren't listening to me on that front. The Zechariah story shows us that God has heard your prayers even when you've, you've not, of prayers you gave up on. I'm telling you, this Christmas time is a place where we need to awaken to some things that maybe we have walked away from. Some stuff that we've parked that God says, no, I've been working on that the whole time. And there's more to this story than you could possibly understand and you could possibly know. Here's what they didn't know. Is that their son going to be the, uh, the herald of the Messiah was going to come along at the same time, just months ahead of the Messiah. Guess what? Jesus's mama Mary hasn't even got married yet. She's a teenager. So all of a sudden for, for Elizabeth to have her child at the same time that Mary has her child, now is the moment. This is the moment in history that that's going to exist. And Mary has her, her child uncomfortably soon. And Elizabeth has her child uncomfortably late. So that they could exist right there together and do live out their callings together. Guess what? Maybe the thing that's waiting so long is because there's more people involved in the answer to your prayer. Maybe there's some other things going to be connected with the answer to your prayer. All of a sudden you're like, God, that prayer was alive on me. I, I believed I was praying for that. And you put that promise on the inside of me. Why have I not seen it? Because there's still other things at work. And it feels late, but to Mary, it felt early. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I haven't even got married. I haven't known a man. How is this going to be? And God says, guess what? I'm a miracle maker on both sides of the aisle. You can be pregnant without ever knowing a man, and you can be pregnant having given up on your man. <laughs> All of a sudden, they're able to be able to have children that grow up and minister together right alongside one another. That is the beauty of the miracle of Christmas. It is the beauty of the miracle. Hebrews 6.12 says, We do not want to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what God or what has been promised. Through faith and patience. When, when the faith is alive in our hearts, we're like, oh, okay, well, that means it must, it must be about to happen. It's alive in my heart. God's going to do this. Why do I need the patience? Why do I need the patience along with my faith? Because that thing that's alive in your heart may take longer than you think it's going to take. And what's the problem? What, is the, what does Hebrews tell us not to do? Not to get lazy to stay fervent, to stay walking it out, to understand that God's timing changes everything. We let him do it in his moment and then all of a sudden it all begins to make sense. Second Peter 3, 9 
tells us this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. And I guarantee you, Zechariah and Elizabeth said, you're slow. You are as slow as it can possibly be. You are slow. But instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I know it's on the heart of God to gather us who are alive in him out of this place where sin and harmful decisions can still affect our daily lives. Our, our sin, our selfishness, our hurtful decisions can still hurt us and people we care about. Other people's decisions can And there's tension and there's pain that breaks the heart of God every day. But he's patient because there are people who live in this space who have yet to say yes to him. And it says his patience is because he wants all to come to repentance. He wants all to come. Why do we still deal with the fallenness and brokenness that we see in this world? Why hasn't Jesus come back to take us to him and just in this mess because there are people he loved that are going to say yes at the end of the service. There are people who are going to say yes dear, on Monday night in their hotel room when they're actually out of their mind and they call on the name of the Lord. There are people who are going to say yes to Jesus hanging out with their friends and family over the holidays and say, hey, what's the reason for the hope that's in you? And one of you opens your mouth around the dining room table at grandma's and says, well, you know what? The truth is, is is I don't rely on myself, I rely on a God who loves me. And you're gonna open your mouth and you're gonna share just the truth of what you know and it's gonna bring alive in their heart and they're gonna step over from death to life and they're gonna be part of that one day and they haven't done it yet. It's It's his patience. He's patient because he wants all of us to have that opportunity to step over. Let's let God work. But here's the thing, is maybe, maybe it's taken longer than you thought it would take. And the story of Zechariah is that even though his mouth got miraculously shut and then later miraculously opened, we can have a new response. You can choose a new response to what God is doing in your life. Here at the end of Luke chapter one, John has been born and they're asking, they're asking, what's his name, what's his name? And Elizabeth pipes up and says what the angel says. His name is John. But see, the right to name wasn't the mom's, it was the dad's. And they're like, there's nobody in your family named John. And they begin to to refuse. And and it says that um, Zechariah asks for a writing tablet. And he writes on there, his name is John. The scriptures tell us as soon as he sits there and he comes into agreement with his words, with what the angel and the word of God had said, it said his tongue was loosened. And he begins and they said, no, his name is John. God calls him John. He's John. Um, there's a little space in there for us as parents. We need to make sure we call our kids what God calls our kids. There's a significant responsibility. I have seven, I have seven of them. I understand the frustrations. <laughs> um, 
They, they have a dad that's still, all these years later, still figuring this out, and they know the frustrations of having a dad like me. But there's a space where our responsibility isn't to call them what we want to call them, but call them what God calls them. But here in the space, when his tongue opens and he has a new place to be able to respond, all of a sudden, Zechariah's words, his last words are not his words of doubt. His last words in the scriptures are this. And we're not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to jump to verse 76. And he says, and he just begins to prophesy. He begins to speak glory to the Lord. He begins to praise God. And then by the time we get to verse 76, he says, and you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He's just prophesying over his son. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah declares the gospel that is going to go out right there for the first time. Zechariah goes from the space of being frustrated by his doubt and the waiting, and then finally he now has a new response, and he declares the gospel, what Jesus is going to do, that we're going to be forgiven because of the tender mercies of our God. All of a sudden, we can have a new response. Maybe your waiting season has worn you down. Maybe you identify with Zechariah really strong. And you're like, preacher, don't, don't go there. Don't stir up that dream. It's taken too long. It's too frustrated. I've just pretty much walked away from it. Don't stir that dream up. And I'm here to tell you, if it's being stirred, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is telling you don't give up on that. The Holy Spirit is saying, don't write that relationship off. The Holy Spirit is telling you that God still wants to do some things, even though you feel like you are too late to the game, that the image and the name God placed on you is still there. Even if you've pursued a different career and pursued a different way of life over and over and over again, your name is still your name. And when he wants to call you into it and awaken you to it and have you step into it. And it doesn't matter if you're in your third decade, fourth decade, or eighth decade. He wants to carry you forward into it. And it's all you need to do is have a new response. Saying, God, you're the one. You're the one. And so the, our bottom line this morning is this. Is that our faith is in his faithfulness. It's in his faithfulness. Not in the passion of our heart and the prayer that we prayed and go, okay, well, that, that must be, it must be about to happen. It must be about, because God stirred me to pray. And then we impose a timeline on it. No, it's our faith is in his faithfulness. And Zechariah reminds us, there can be prayers we prayed a long time ago that the spirit of God has been at work on that the whole time. The whole time and he's ready to bring about a, a renewal to that dream in your heart thank you for listening to this message from celebration church you can keep up with all that god is doing here at celebration by following us on facebook and instagram